You are listening to the Vita Foods Insights podcast. Join us as we explore the key issues and emerging trends affecting the global health and nutrition industry, helping businesses make informed decisions and drive change. Hello and welcome to the Vita Foods Insights podcast. I'm Charlotte Bastianza, joined today by Matt Smith, who is CEO at Barrett Dixon Bell, and Chris Grimes, who is the company's business development manager. Matt and Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. Absolute pleasure. No, very happy to be here. Happy to be here as well. So most of the time on our podcast, we speak to researchers, innovators, and other nutraceutical industry experts. But a really important aspect for businesses to consider is that the success is, of course, making your ingredient or finished product known to your target consumer pool. So today we're talking about consumer centricity and specifically the B2B buyer. Matt and Chris, mm-hmm. what exactly does it mean to be truly customer centric? I think in this day and age, you're hearing an awful lot of businesses they, they put the customer first or a customer focused, but the latest kind of buzzword or theme or trend that you're seeing in the marketing space is to be considered truly customer centric. And when you look at what customer centricity ultimately means, it's delivering that consistent and kind of omni-channel experience across um, every single channel or touch point with your brand. So it's optimizing every piece of content and where you can be found online or offline to deliver that really, really consistent and cohesive experience. I think it's, I think it's understanding, you, understanding your buyer in every sense from every single channel because we all use different channels in different ways. And I think what we tend to find is a lot of brands out there now, like Matt said, they're not consistent in the messaging across different platforms. The show should always be a sort of red thread that runs through all the platforms, but the way you communicate on YouTube is totally different than the way you can communicate on Instagram. And don't get me wrong, there is crossover between the channels because it has to be, because that's to be an oversell. But different messaging, different types of visuals were working on different types of platforms. Mm-hmm. And again, same with podcasting, same with webinars. Wherever your brand is touched from a customer point of view, you have to really, really dig deep in. And that's why when we do a lot of the, the, the branding exercises with, with, with companies, really, really digging very, very deep into what how they communicate across all channels is key. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the market is absolutely flooded with different channels. How essential is it for companies to deliver an omni-channel customer experience? And how does the messaging change from channel to channel? I think if I pick up the first point in the sense of how important is it, I think what we're finding these days with the, the more modern and the evolved B2B buyer is the ease um that you can be unpicked if you don't provide that omni-channel consistent experience. So technology at your fingertips is making it a lot easier for people to access your brand even quicker than before. So um, even on social media alone, I think we see an awful lot of companies and brands, particularly in kind of the nutraceutical and uh, the food ingredient space, where um, on one channel they're really strong. So they have a fantastic um, Facebook um, follow profile or whatever it may be, and great offering and great content hitting that space. But then you move across to YouTube and they're really light on content or on Twitter or on any of the channels. They're delivering a really inconsistent experience. So I think of the modern B2B mm. buyer wants authenticity and consistency are two key words that you see crop up an awful lot. 
So you can only be making claims and delivering messages you can firmly stand behind, and also that they're consistently communicated across different methods, as, as Chris alluded to earlier, whether that's imagery, text, white papers, downloads, whatever it may be. But if there's inconsistencies in the mix there, they can be identified and picked up on really quickly. And what I would, what would add to that is if, you, if, if, if you're out there and you're a business, and I always pick on YouTube because it is, it's the easiest one to do in the, in the modern day. You know, when we've done our research, like pretty much when we've been to, to, to trade shows, so via Foods, for example, sort of 90% mm. of the businesses that visited our talk weren't on YouTube, and it's the second biggest search engine in the world. You have to really question, uh, and, and if you are on there, are you consistent in your messaging, or are you just posting once a year to, to just so you've got a channel? And is that messaging really, really hitting home with your customers? Again, it's going back to profiling your customers well and looking at what, how they and why they engage with YouTube. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to just get a little bit more into where functional ingredients are busy put, are, are putting their focus on the channel. So you mentioned that YouTube is the second biggest search channel in the world and 90% of our users are not there. Where do you see that they are focusing their efforts? Is that the wrong place? How can they change their strategy to move more into a, a channel like YouTube? I'd just be interested to hear where you think that they're putting all of their energy and their focus and clearly there needs to be a shift having, you know, exactly the fact that YouTube is the second biggest search channel in the world. Sure, sure. I think, I think what you tend to see is you see everybody making the claims that they want to differentiate, they want to break new ground, they want to become a market leader in their space. And I mm. think the safe environments when you're talking about you know, where people are putting their efforts at the minute is obviously their own website, their own shop window of um, how, they, how they communicate and how their content is, is promoted and maybe campaign activity taking place on landing pages and certain isolated microsites. That's, mm. one, that's one area that you tend to see. I think then typically in the B2B space, you tend to see people embracing LinkedIn, first of all, more of the B2B, more of the corporate kind of um, platform. So more B2B um, outfits are starting to build um, a presence um, in the LinkedIn kind of arenas. But again, the, the content and the posts that are being put out there are more what I would call cannon fodder posts to tick a box in their social media scheduling. So um, myself and Chris were chatting even just earlier in terms of using Vitafoods as an example. Yeah. The, the amount of post and traction you could put out at Vitafoods in a really tailored and personalized way versus just we're at Vitafoods, hashtag Vitafoods. Um, mm. you, you can really build a much more strategic um, aspect to that content. So I think typically people are embracing LinkedIn for the meantime, then gradually move across to Twitter. But then again, it's not all about you thinking about where your bias can be found. And as the younger generations are coming through, the um, Gen Zers and the millennials starting to become into a position of influence in the buying cycle, these guys can be found on um, YouTube and they're using that to educate themselves. They can be found on Instagram where they're looking for more entertainment. Um, so there's various different avenues that you can attack. And that's why I think the, the, the people that start to embrace this and realize they've got to educate and um, stop selling, start helping that modern buyer evolve uh, are the people that will gather you know, protect and hold their market share if you're already a market leader, or certainly gain some market share if you're more of it, you know, try, trying to grow your market share in the meantime. Brilliant, thanks, Matt. And 
when we look at the modern B2B buyer, because that is the audience that we are addressing here, how has the modern B2B buyer changed the classic sales funnel of driving someone from awareness to action? Mm-hmm. Well, and this is a, this is one that we, we we cover a lot with our clients. So if you if you cast your mind back sort of five to ten years ago, the the buyer would be only in control of twenty percent of the buying journey, and the company would be delivering eighty percent of the buying journey. So the companies who are promoting out there would would deliver eighty percent of the buying experience. But now the buyer is in control, so they then now do eighty percent of the work, and the company we're trying to sell to them do twenty percent. So if you think about it. A lot of the businesses out there, if you look at the kind of classic sales funnel, are trying to sell to modern B2B buyers the same as they were five to ten years ago, which is just that purchase stage or just before purchase stage. As now, because the buyer has control, they're doing research, they're asking their peers, the people around them, they're downloading white papers, they're doing a lot more research, they're going on YouTube, they're looking for how that company interacts with their people. If you think of what Matt said before about the, uh, the millennials and Gen Z, they're looking if you are truly sustainable, mm. not just talking about it. If you are truly sustainable and you are out there saying that you are, they will look into that and research that. So before you even potentially get to a message to them these days, you have to really influence them at, about, at the awareness stage and get them at that as early as possible in the sales funnel. And I, I also think linked to that, it's the type of content you're producing is what people should be looking at. So typically in the B2B world, you're talking about more corporate fact-based content. The, the evolution of this modern B2B buyer and the younger generations coming through, they, they want more emotional, engaging content, which is where mm-hmm. things like the articulation of the story, the points of differentiation, the why. So why is the business in? Uh, uh, why is the company in business beyond making profit? All these kind of factors need really consistently and authentically communicating across that kind of omnichannel experience as well. Yeah. I also would just want to chat a little bit more about the non-linear sales funnel that sort of evolved. Um, the stages at which buyers enter the sales funnel is no longer really clear of you know where they are in their buyer's journey. How do we navigate the non-linear sales funnel? I think, again, it's linked back to delivering that consistent omnichannel experience. I guess that the, the context and the background for this is you've got, a short, you've got more and more competition of people fighting and clambering to get your customer's attention. It's probably the first point. So to cut through that noise, and the thing with the non-linear sales funnel is they can they can strike and decide they want to make a purchase at any point during it. People yeah. can drop in and out of your funnel, and there's various different tactics to pull people back in, like retargeting. But if you think about my the example I always offer is how you used to book a holiday, maybe even 10, 15 years ago. You would go to a travel agent, you would review a brochure, you would have a dialogue, and they would they would ultimately sell you a package holiday that you would probably book with that travel agent. These days now, you'll take peer reviews, you'll speak to colleagues, friends, you'll mm. read some uh, TripAdvisor reviews, you'll look at the hotel directly, and you'll bounce in and out of that maybe for weeks or months before you actually make that purchasing decision. So how... Can you influence people during this non-linear journey and the use of kind of technology, marketing technology can assist you to do this in terms of striking while the iron is hot, feeding people the right information. And you can do a million podcasts on these kind of things as well, but mm. taking it through to marketing and holding the attention of that person and kind of keeping them warm until they're ready to make the purchase. That, that for me, is how you crack the, the, the non-linear sales model that we're all facing today. But for me, just a, a, a point on that, it's looking at having multiple touch points with any potential uh, B2B buyer. 
this is where I think a lot of companies get it wrong. And um, again, it's another podcast for another time, but making sure that they, you're not just having one or two touch points. It should be seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, if you think of, about how the modern B2B buyer has changed, they have to be influenced over very uh, of different platforms with different types of communication before they'll potentially then get into a to, into a dialogue with you. So it's about not diving in straight away and thinking that person wants to purchase whatever you're selling. It's about nurturing that prospect over a period of time. So when when they do come to buy, they're already bought into your brand and what you're trying to um, trying to get across to them. Thank you both for sharing your insights. So um, feel free to add on to this, but I think the very key takeaways is for B2B businesses to really get familiar with the different channels, um, know the B, the modern B2B buyer and how purchasing direction has changed, deliver a consistent messaging and try and be across as many channels as possible with a specific focus on certainly the search channels that are very prominent across the entire globe. Um, anything to add yeah. to that? I think for, from my perspective, I'll say wrapping it up, it, it really is a race to evolve. So um, mm. with the B2B marketing landscape changing so rapidly in terms of the technology, the practices, the, the way people approach and, and the evolution of the, the new modern B2B buyer, it is a race to evolve. So particularly for the larger players in the nutraceutical space, um, business as usual will, will hold that market share, but only for so long. Um, and I think for yeah. me, the, emerge, the, the, the smaller players in the marketplace, the, the, the technology and the modern marketing approaches is giving people the ability to gain market share rapidly. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the competition that you currently consider maybe an, an ankle biter, so, you know, not, not doing too much damage, that, that, that it gives mm. them the ability to work towards that knee a little bit quicker. So if you want to protect your market share, you know, it, it's that race to evolve. And I think it's, we've mentioned, I mentioned it before, uh, with Matt, we were talking about before, it's, Again, race to evolve, but it's all about innovation. Everything is about innovation and everything yeah. about not being safe all the time. Continue to be safe and be safe all the time. Someone will come into the market and overtake you. It's about looking how you can constantly innovate, and that is with your marketing ideas. There's so many times we go to pitches and put um, really, really good ideas in front of our clients only to be told that they've gone, they've gone back to the sort of norm, boring, corporate way of doing things. Yeah. People, yeah. will, people will win in this market regardless if you innovate and you and you literally get in that race to evolve. Innovation is definitely the key buzzword and um, I think across the entire experience, um, whether that's your marketing practice or your ingredient development or your functional food development, it's, it's mm. a constant race to keep up and to stay competitive because just as we get comfortable and we think we've got um, a grasp on things, it all just changes again. So... So I think, yeah, instilling that, that notion to be competitive, to be innovative is um, the kind of mindset that all these businesses really need to stay afloat in the market, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Well, thank you both so much for joining me on this podcast and for sharing your insights. Um, let us know, just um, give a quick shout-out of where our listeners can find you. Sure. Um, so Matt Smith, CEO of Barrett Dixon Bell, BDB. Uh, you can find us at www.bdb.co.uk. You can also find our content knowledge hub at uh, theb2bknowledge.com. Uh, and we have our own uh, podcast stream as well, which is What Would You Do If? Um, Scenario-based podcasts, which are available across all major platforms. And you can also find us on uh, YouTube as well with video formats. Great. Thanks, Matt and Chris. 
Fabulous. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Steve. Cheers. Bye. Bye.